Welcome to the Bethlehem Lutheran Church Podcast. To find out more about our community, go to our website at BethlehemLutheran.net or find us on Facebook as Bethlehem Granada Hills. This podcast is from Sunday, November 24th, 2019. We have for you a bell choir rendition of Thanksgiving Bells by George Elvey, followed by a sermon by Pastor Yuan Itu on Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. You are welcome to join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 9 or 11 a.m. Enjoy our podcast. Good morning, everyone. How nervous were you when I, when I moved the candle and things started to fall? That was very exciting for me this morning. Um, our Old Testament reading for today is from the prophet Jeremiah, and the words in Jeremiah are directed, pointed at people in leadership positions. It was first written aimed at the Israelite king and the king's court who were in the difficult position of how to respond to the encroaching Assyrian Babylonian armies. These big, powerful, militaristic empires were marching towards the little kingdom of Jerusalem, and the kings had to decide 
how to respond. Not a simple task. But these days, these words of warning and calling for greater standards of compassion and wisdom still hold true for our leaders. These words of warning and calling to speak, they speak to pastors and council members, but also to parents and presidents of nations, to teachers who lead young minds in becoming what our future needs, and to business owners and managers who need to pay fairly and employ fairly and fairly charge for their goods and services and fairly resolve all the competing factors it takes to make a viable business while at the same time helping their communities. The words hold true and it's a tough task to be a leader. Jeremiah as a prophet is one who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the last decades before the fall of the southern kingdom of Israel. He warned the king and the king's advisors that exploiting the land and the people for their own gain would bring God's judgment. Their actions had consequences for the good or for the bad. Jeremiah is known as the crying prophet, both before, because he cries out words of warning, but also because he was one who saw the consequences. He cried out, saying, change your ways before it's too late, but he also would personally live out those consequences. He was there when the kingdom was attacked, and Jerusalem was sieged and sacked and destroyed, and he and Jerusalem population were marched into exile. Today's reading comes from a part in Jeremiah's life before the destruction of Jerusalem. It's not too late, he says. And Jeremiah is begging the king to listen and to change his ways. It doesn't have to go bad, he cries. Jeremiah uses the image of shepherds as the metaphor for leaders. Shepherds aren't exactly the most powerful image, especially when armies are actually marching at you with chariots and bows and spears. But they are a caretaking image. They are an image that is deeply personal to the people of Israel because their greatest king, King David, started as a humble shepherd. The idea is that people don't need someone who is strong enough to fight the Assyrians or Babylonians. Small nations like Israel were never going to be strong enough to win wars against large empires. What the people of Israel needed was somebody caring and just and compassionate who looked out for the common and most vulnerable people in their dealings with these larger, powerful entities. Don't protect your kingship. Protect the people of your kingdom. Don't look out for your status or position. Look out for the people in your care so that together they can make it through the tough times that are surely ahead. Don't try to escape what your people are going through, but join them. As Jeremiah sees leadership of his time unwilling to change their course, he preaches to the people a message of hope 
that it won't always be this bad. I know those guys in the palace are not the best, but our lives won't always be getting harder and harder and harder. They won't always be in charge. God's got to change things up. A shift is coming. God promises you a time when you will have someone kind and wise who is on your side and not looking out for themselves. God promises you this. Every generation seems to go through a period of disillusionment. We all have to realize and come to accept that the generations that came before us are just as human as us. Our parents, the leaders that pass to us the torch of leadership, but also pass to us economies and political climates and the state of the environment that pass on trauma and progress, they are as far from perfect as we are. The process of generational shifts can come with grief and frustration. I've heard some say to me that the disillusionment of younger people is just a phase. They'll get over it. They'll need health insurance and come to value the safety of their family over their youthful ideals. They'll calm down and sell out just like the rest of us. I say they, but in the conversation, the person was talking to me directly. You, you one, won't be idealistic forever. You just wait. You'll see. There was this notion that institutional disillusionment, walking away from corporate jobs, leaving churches, pursuing some notion of idealized community, communes, was just a phase. And you'll be back. After all, didn't the hippies become yuppies? So the conversation went. But young people don't just walk away in church from church for their college years and then come back when they have families. Disillusionment seems to not be just a phase, but a growing, pervasive cultural reality. I was speaking with a ministry colleague who did college ministry as a chaplain one time about how to do ministry to younger generations, and she strongly rejected the notion that there's apathy in young people. The young people I work with are incredibly passionate, she protested. Okay, I responded and walked away. My observation is that sure, young people like myself and millennials younger than me, they can get hot and fired up and we can get passionate, but there also seems to be a walking away. Walking away from loyalty, from institutions, institutional loyalty ain't so much a thing. How many job changes, career shifts, relocations will folks my age and younger go through in our lives compared to previous generations? I think it's a safe bet to say more. How do established churches like ours reach out, evangelize, care for a generation more prone to shifting, to that L.A. relocating that people do where they come here for a few years and then move on, to simply moving on when confronted by disillusionment, disappointed, 
and frustration. How can we be a spiritual home where people stay and stay loved? A bunch of my friends are into this personality test thing called the Enneagram. Have any of you heard of this thing? Okay, it's, it's I, I mean... It's fine. I'm not saying it's great. I'm not knocking it. It's fine. Um, uh, I'm a Leo, which means that I'm a fire sign and I'm powerful, I guess. But the, the Enneagram has a whole different take on it, I guess. In the Enneagram, I'm, uh, I'm something called a loyal skeptic, the number six. I'm someone who desperately wants to belong wants to give my loyalty and commitment to something to dig in and help out my communities and keep them from falling apart. But like sixes, I get disappointed. I get disillusioned. Because communities of humans always fall short. Sixes are perpetually disillusioned because leaders are mere mortals that fall short of the loving compassion and wisdom that God's prophet Jeremiah calls leaders to. They fall short just like I fall short. The paradoxical solution from God to all these existential woes of sixes like myself, these loyal skeptics about the state of the world and how it looks like, Failure is to give Jesus a crucified Savior, a criminal that hung on a cross. Our Savior Jesus said one of the truest prayers that I can ever think of in today's gospel. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. And Jesus follows up that compassionate prayer with a bold promise to us. You will be with me in paradise. All the shortcomings in our lives, in ourselves, and our leaders, our families, and our friends will not hold back the peace and love that God has in store for us. God promises. Past failures don't mean dismal futures. God promises. We can heal. We can get up when we are knocked down. God promises. You've been hurt, but you are also loved and will be loved. God promises. In fact, the leader, the truest leader that God ever gave us in Christ Jesus is worthy precisely because he joins us in pain, not in success. He joins us in our heartache. You may think that we want a leader that never gets knocked down, that always stands victorious, that fights the Assyrian empires of our day and wins. But the loving leadership God wants for us is someone who will get down beside us when we fall and help us both get back up with compassion and love, knowing all that it cost us when we fell and all that it will cost us together to get back up.
Jesus didn't look out for himself, but was looking out for us and our well-being. A good leader. A wonderful leader. How do we as the church reach out to a disillusioned culture? Propping up ourselves as powerful and appealing and successful and entertaining all against all the alternatives that are on Sunday morning probably won't work. God promised through Jeremiah that there was going to be a leader worth our time and talents and loyalty, a leader worth following. And God didn't mean a king or a Democrat or a Republican or a Lutheran or a pastor or any other human category. God meant himself. And God gives us that leader in Jesus who leads us in love, more so than boldly leading a worldly cause If we as Christians want disillusioned people to be loved in our midst, to join this family as brothers and sisters, we need to follow Christ's leadership into love and compassion. When they fall and are hurting, we need to fall down right beside them and hurt as they hurt and together get back up. Loving somebody when they are hurting is worth more than all the fancy strategic organizational plans out there from leaders and gurus. Even though I'm pretty skeptical about most plans, I hear from human leaders, church, political, or otherwise, if it feels like love from another person then I'm pretty sure it's actually God who's doing the leading right then. And God's love is worth risking a little disappointment. It's worth sticking around to. It's worth loyalty. Mine and yours in the long run. May you be blessed by Christ's leadership as I have. Amen.